So we are in our week three of this series um, through the Sermon on the Mount. And this Sermon on the Mount is um, really probably the most popular sermon ever. I mean, it's, it's, it's been written down. It's been preached on probably millions of times. And, um, and this collection of, of, um, of sayings is, is something you'll find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. In fact, if you want to have your copy of God's Word, your printed copy or digital copy, you can go to Matthew chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be today. But to set this up, Jesus is, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to a, a multitude, a crowd of people who, have, um, who just keep following him. I mean, Jesus is rock star status, and everybody thinks that uh, he is going to overthrow the Roman government, set up his new kingdom. And actually, this Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of early on in his ministry, so his disciples are really trying to figure out, okay, what, what, what is this guy going to do? I mean, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, he's asked me to follow him. Uh, I believe he is a Messiah. Uh, but in my mind, the Messiah is someone who's going to overthrow and, and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And uh, so uh, what they're thinking is speech, right? A big speech. But um, <laughs> Jesus sits down. <laughs> you know, when someone wants to take ownership and kick out of a, a certain um, uh, army and uh, a country who, is, who has invaded and, and who has taken over the, uh, the government and, and ruled it, uh, you, don't, you don't sit down. You stand up and, and you stand on the highest part. But, but Jesus sits down. And not only that, he sits down and he starts with the word Blessed. Blessed are you when people persecute you. And blessed and, and all this stuff. And, and, and everybody's scratching their head going, okay, um, is, this, is, this, is this the plan? And, of course, what Jesus came is to establish his heavenly kingdom. And, um, and so he was ushering that in. And, and just what Jesus does, we just got to singing about that. What Jesus does is he takes what what mankind thinks should be, and he flips it over on its head, and he turns it upside down and says, all right, well, let's look at it this way. You, you say it's this way, but we're going to look at it a different way. And all throughout his teachings, that's what Jesus does. He takes what has been taught or people have assumed, and, so, and he turns it on its head. And so we, uh, we looked last week about how Jesus called us salt and light. You are the salt of the earth and light of the world. Not you might be, you could be, you are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you follow him. You are salt and light. And the standard that has been set was from the Pharisees and teachers of the law, a standard of righteousness. But Jesus looked at that standard and told those listening, and he's also telling us today in Matthew chapter 5, that we need a different type of righteousness. A different type of righteousness. We even read this in, in, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. It says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If people are like, okay, it, these guys are incredibly righteous. The Pharisees and the teachers of the laws and the scribes. I mean, they, they live it and they make us live it and they force all these things. And they're thinking, man, if, if, I, if I can't live better than them, I can't go into heaven. 
And what Jesus is saying is that, look, what, what they've been doing, it's a, it's a self-righteousness. It's all about works. Self-righteousness. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's ushering this, this beginning of the gospel. And he said he wants us to have a righteousness that he provides on our, behi- on our behalf, not a self-righteousness. He wants to provide that. This genuine righteousness come to those who are spiritually bankrupt and have a need for Christ, as we saw in the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are the poor, the meek. And so today, we pick up where we left off in this section. Jesus shares a connection between sins of actions and sins of attitudes. And the title for today's message is Sin Beneath the Symptoms. The sin beneath the symptoms. He's going to give us six examples in this next section that, um, of, a, of a better righteousness, of what a better righteousness looks like. Now, we're going to look at three of those today, and next week we're going to look at the other three. But he, looks at, he gives us six examples of how to have a better righteousness, or what a better righteousness looks like. In each example, Jesus starts with, you have heard it said... But I say, you have heard it said, but I say. And this is how Jesus teaches with so much authority. He's like, you have heard it said, the scribes and Pharisees and the, and the law says that you heard these people say this. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Okay? You've heard it said. But Jesus doesn't say someone else. Oh, but Socrates says, or whatever, or another, you know, someone, someone who, who, who studies, you know, um, mankind and, and a philosopher and those kinds of things. No, he's like, you've heard it said, but I say. I say. I'm speaking with authority. And that's, that's what, when, when Jesus says that, you're like, okay, <laughs> if you say that, Who's behind you? Who, who gives you that power and that ability? Well, obviously, as we know, it's God the Father. And so, he, he takes these examples, and again, we're going to look at three of those today. The first one we're going to look at today is anger. First one we're going to look at today is anger. So, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. 21 through 26. And it says this, you have heard that it was said, there it is, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, there's his his authority, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, okay, uh, is, is answerable to, uh, to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire and of hell. And so, basically, he's saying, if you talk negative about someone, you, you call someone a fool, you, you are showing anger. Therefore, if you are offering your gift as an altar at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them, then come and offer your gift. 
Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So he's saying, look, if you show anger to people, call people in, you fool. They use a, another word there, raka, which means empty-headed or idiot. <laughs> he's saying, look, it, 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 goes much, it goes much deeper than just murder. You know, thou shalt not murder is the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments, of the Big Ten. And while don't murder seems like an easy standard to follow, I mean, how, how, many, of this, how many people in this room have murdered somebody? If you did, okay, okay. Oh, that's good, all right. If you, if you need to confess that, you can talk to me after that, after today, and we can, you know, and, and notice I didn't say how many you wanted to murder somebody. All right, that's good, yeah, youth are raising their hands. Um, watch them very carefully, that'd be great. Um, but, no, murdering is not something that, you know, a whole, a whole lot of us, you know, think about first. We, we don't murder, you know, while murder seems like an easy standard to follow, Jesus is about to make a stunning connection between thoughts and actions. God's intent behind the sixth commandment of thou shalt not murder goes far beyond just not killing people. Thou shalt not murder. Well, that's an easy one to follow. I mean, you know, I mean, there, there are some of those commandments that are pretty easy to follow. The, the hardest one is thou shalt not lie. I mean, my gosh, it's, that's a tough one. I mean, there are some other tough ones, but it's like, okay, thou shalt not murder. Hey, I got that. That's good. Thou shalt not steal. You know, I may have taken a few things as a kid, candy or, you know, whatever, or stolen an idea. Or, well, I don't know, you know. And so you, you have all, the, but, but, you know, murder is up there. It's like, okay, I, I'm good. Uh, the sixth commandment, me and the sixth commandment are tracking on the same page. And so um, Jesus is meant to apply this at the deepest levels of our thoughts and feelings. Jesus says that obedience to the commandment alone murder, uh, of, against murder begins with eliminating anger for one another. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you eliminate the anger, if anger wells up inside of you, and if you let that anger go, release that, and don't let them get the best of you, you won't murder them, right? Now, I know some, sometimes, you know, accidents, you know, happen, and we have those things, but most of the time when someone murders them, because there's anger, all right? And so, what Jesus is saying, before it even goes to that point, you have anger, with anger issues, and so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're not really talking about anger. They're talking about murder. They're talking about the, sort of the end result. And Jesus is like, hey, we need, we, need to, we need to backtrack a little bit. We need to go to the heart of the matter. It's, uh, it's important to uh, understand are worth noting that when Jesus speaks here, is he's, he's realizing that people here can get offended. And then he goes into this idea of the, of, of the altar, of, of, of when, you, when you put down your, your, uh, 
your sacrifice, your, your, your offering. Now, you may say, okay, before I, before I give an offering to the Lord, no, see, what the Israelites had to do before Jesus ushered in the, the new commandment, or, or sorry, the new covenant, is that people had to go to the priest and they had to bring an offering. They had to bring a, an innocent animal, a lamb, a, a pigeon, or, or you know, whatever. I mean, the law is full of those, all those kind of things based upon the type of sin and what year it is and everything. And so they would bring that offering to the priest and they would offer that as an atonement for their sins. So it's basically the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said, before you can go to the altar and get your sins atoned for, you need to go to that person and make things right. You need to go to that person and make things right. Well, it's a, obviously we don't, we don't do that now. We don't, we don't bring an, an animal and sacrifice it you know, for our sins. We don't need to do that. We just go to the Lord and say, God, please forgive me my sin. You know, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry for not obeying you, you know, this week, and, and I know you've told me to do this, and I haven't, you know, or, or sorry for the things I've said. Before you can do that, if you've got anger against someone, or, or if, you've, if you've even offended someone, Jesus is saying, look, before you can come to me for forgiveness of sins, you've got to go to that person. You've got to go to that person. The broad principle of these verses is that a heart is not right with God. If they are not right with, with, uh, with one another, then they are not going to be right with God. Let me, let me make sure you understand that. If our hearts aren't right with one another, our hearts are not going to be right with God. It, it makes sense. It makes tons of sense. For you to go to God the Father, oh, I... I worship you, oh, Father God. I worship you, Lord. And then in your mind, in your heart, there's anger and bitterness towards someone. Or maybe you've caused someone to be bitter at you by something you've said. Either you need to provide forgiveness or you need to go and ask for forgiveness. Things need to be right. We can't worship God with a sincere spirit if we are unrepentant about causing another person legitimate offense. Jesus is comparing the spiritual stakes of unresolved conflict to the civil stakes of an unresolved lawsuit. He goes into, it's kind of like, you know, if you do something to somebody, then the law is going to come after you. And then there's going to be a progression. You're going to have a police officer, and then you're going to have a judge, and you're going to have somebody put you into prison, depending on what the, the offense is, okay? Well, Jesus is basically saying the same thing. I mean, it's like, look, if, if you've done something to somebody or offended someone, then you need to go make that right. Because guess what? There's going to be a progression of things that's going to happen in your life, and you're going to end up in a prison, a spiritual prison, to where you're going to feel like, man, God, God is just nowhere near me. Why is that? <laughs> well, because there's something over here. And I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I mean, yeah, I, I, like, to be, I like to be very transparent. But I, I've been there before. 
I have. I know what it feels like to have bitterness and anger. And then I try to go before God the Father, and I'm just, I'm praying, and I'm seeking the Lord, and it's just like, man, crickets, right? Crickets. And I'm just going, what's up? What's wrong? And then it's like I've got to search my, my spirit and my soul. It's like, all right, I, I've got to get this right. I've got to make this right. And so that's what Jesus is saying. It's, it's, it's so much more than murder. Woohoo, I didn't murder anybody. Great. You know, but you're, you know, giving the people the middle finger in the traffic, okay, or yelling or, or whatever. You fill with anger and frustration. And it, I mean, sometimes, I mean, yeah, we, we're going to get a little bit of frustration. Trust me. And yes, have I ever been angry before? Y- you bet. You can ask my kids. They will tell you, I've been angry before. And I've had to go back to them and said, you know what? I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have act, reacted that way. I should have responded more in love. But just know this, that Jesus, what he's talking about, he's talking about something so much bigger than murder. He's talking about the things that lead to that. And I tell you, boy, when you start reading these words in red, what Jesus, what Jesus spoke, then it really gets into the heart of the, heart of the matter. So the first one's anger. The second one is lust. Lust. The second example Jesus uses is lust. And we find this again right there in chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. So check out these words. You have heard that it was said. There it is. You've heard it said. You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. (laughs) Jesus does not go on to contradict the law of of no adultery. He just magnifies it. He magnifies it. And as it did before, Jesus will point out that it's not good enough to simply avoid physical sin. It's not good enough. I've never committed adultery. Woo, that's great. And I know there's a lot of people who, 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 who have done that, okay, in our world. Even in the, even in the you know, the big C church, the church, you, you hear that all the time, okay? Even pastors have gone through that. But, I mean, there's a lot of people who's like, you know, I've, I've, I've never done that, okay? Great. Jesus said, that's, that's awesome. But have you looked lustfully at a woman? Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And so God's intent is for people to control what happens in their hearts and minds well before the opportunity for physical adultery becomes available. It's all about their heart. It's all about the mind. When I talk to men, and I've talked to, in fact, our, our, our students are actually going through 
uh, various lessons. Girls are, 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 are doing something separate from the guys and they're doing something on purity and, and, and God's design for their life and, and how God created them. And I mean, such a, such a powerful time together. And then the guys are going through um, just sexual purity and, and what God's plan is for their life. And I, I, I told the guys this, and, and I, I told other people this as well. You know, I know there are times when, when, when someone would pass in front of us. Like if we're, if we're sitting waiting, you know, for uh, someone to uh, cross in front of Target or uh, Walmart, and, and it's some, a, a girl or a lady who's, who's, you know, wearing something or barely wearing something, right? And she walks in front of us. I mean, you know, that's like, okay, well, there it is. But can I tell you something? That's free, but the second look is sin. First free, the second one is sin. Now, when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, the first one's free. <laughs> I'm going to gaze on this one. First one's free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for making that. Yeah. Because I know there are times it's like, okay, it just, you know, it, it you know, comes, in, comes in front of you. And, but when you look the second time, that's when, and you, and you, play things in your head, and you create scenes in your head, okay? Ladies, you may not think guys are creative, you know, because of th- things we do, but we're, we're pretty creative in here, very creative in here. And so we, um, so guys, I just, I just want to let you know, okay, that first one's free, the second one's sin. And so Jesus is, he, he's saying, you know, if you, if you look at that woman, and if you imagine things and you undress her with your eyes and your mind and everything, guess what? That's committing adultery in your heart. And he's connecting the heart with the action. He's connecting the heart with the action. And so we, I'm not talking about just to you, me too, all of us, we've got to make sure that that we are guarding our heart to where it doesn't lead to something else. And it makes sense. If we, if we block off those things, if we don't go there in our minds, if we don't do that second look, then guess what? We're probably not going to have the action of adultery. Because we shut it off. We hold captive, and we put those, those thoughts captive, and we put them in a, in a, in a cell, a prison cell, way uh, far away from us, and we say, you, you are not going to haunt me. So the connection Christ makes here is striking would have been shocking to his original listeners. He, his claim is that lustful intent, lustful intent all by itself is a sin and an act of adultery in the heart. Legalists in the area might have claimed that lust and fantasies were fine if it didn't lead to actual sex. And this is true. The Pharisees and teachers, they were focused on the act of adultery. You shall not commit adultery. They, they didn't. 
they didn't teach on things of you should not have fantasies, you should not be in a, in a, in a room, you know, with a woman, you should not. I mean, the things that lead up to that. You should not commit adultery. You should not commit adultery. Okay, I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to commit adultery. But in the, in the meantime, throughout the day, men are having those thoughts. And it's not just men. Women have those. And in most, most of the time with women, it's because there's no connection. There's no, there's no connection. Men, it's more about the image. Women, it's just more about, well, I don't feel connected. And so I want to feel connected. And so, um, but Jesus, Jesus takes this idea and just says, all right, we're going to go, we're going to go deeper into this. So, Jesus continues to raise the standards, making it sound harder and harder to get into heaven. So, the question is, one may ask, then who can be righteous? Really? I... I mean, Jesus, I've, I've never murdered anybody, but man, I sure have been angry. You know, I've never, I've never committed adultery, but man, I sure thought about it. You're telling me that I can't, you're telling me that that's the same thing as, as murdering and committing adultery? Yep. Well, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, I'm out. I, I, who can be righteous? Who can be righteous? And see, that's the whole point of this sermon. Jesus is pushing that very point that nobody is righteous enough. Nobody. All are sinful. At the same time, he is showing the expectations Christians ought to have for, for inner private lives. Modern readers us should also note that while Jesus phrases this in, in other statements, using references to men and women, the spiritual principles apply to both genders. And then in verse 29 and 30, Jesus is going to offer two illustrations on how to handle this issue. In verse 29 and 30, and, and, and we, we looked at that. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let me say, all right, that's, that's ridiculous. Really? Jesus wants me to pluck out my eye? It's interesting that he uses the eye and the hand. Take out your eye, cut off your hand. If you're going to have... Uh, if you're going to have sexual immorality, you're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve these things, touching and seeing. Touching and seeing. It's really interesting that he, he would use those two body parts, and he's correct. But what Jesus is saying is, is that he, he's not advocating for self-mutilation. <laughs> he's not saying you should be into cutting or you know, you should, you should have some self-mutilation. He, he's not advocating that at all. So sometimes, a lot of times, Jesus will exaggerate something to get a point across. We do that. We exaggerate 
We're a little bit sarcastic and we, to get a point across. Like when Jesus said, you know, don't, don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye, in your friend's eye, when you got a, a log in your own eye. Well, nobody can have a log in their eye. But he's just over-exaggerating this. And what he's doing, he, he's doing the same thing here. What he's saying is that we should have the same intensity of dealing with our inner sin as this extreme example. When we have those thoughts and feelings and those things in our mind about sexual immorality, we should be so serious about it that it's like taking a fork and stabbing it in our eyeball and pulling it out. That would hurt. That is why he said that. Or taking a machete, cutting off your hand. It should be that serious. Man, I've got stuff in my heart. I've got stuff in my heart. I need need the word of God. I need to meditate on the word of God. I need to fast. I need to be accountable to people. I need to have people praying with me. I need for people to call me when I'm on a business trip and I'm by myself. I need other, other men to help me with this and hold me accountable and to, and to be, uh, uh, be in prayer on this. I need to substitute those thoughts with other things in my life. I need to put on worship music. I need to turn off talk radio. I need to turn off other stuff. I need to listen to things that's going to fill my mind and my heart. This means business. I've got to get this thing out of here. I've got to stop going down that road because we are supposed to be set apart, made holy. We are, the, we are to be holy, not because of our actions, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He makes us holy, and we represent Christ. When we represent Christ, we are holy. We are to set, be set apart. We are consecrated We live in this world, but we are not of this world. Don't be like the world. In order to do that, we need to have those things removed. We need to be serious about it. And and here's the reason why Jesus is going deeper in this. Because what he's going to do, and these people don't know yet, we know now, is that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And it's going to indwell people with power And those who have accepted Christ as Savior, he comes in and takes residence in us. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you have accepted Christ as Savior and if you have chosen him. And what Jesus is saying, look, if my spirit is going to come in here, you got to remove those other things. Because, see, before, the Holy Spirit was inside of people. I mean, a few select people, the prophets and a few others. But the Holy Spirit didn't reside in people It was all about law, law, law. You have to obey this. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Well, have I done those things? Great. Have you had anger? Have you had adulterous thoughts? Well, yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. And he's preparing the people for the Holy Spirit to come inside of them. Because he's like, all right, if my Holy Spirit is going to come inside, then there's not going to be room. And this is what I believe about the Holy Spirit. What I believe about the Holy Spirit is that if you keep filling your mind and your heart with those things, the Holy Spirit is going to hide in some sort of corner. And be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till you're done with this. And he's going to provide conviction, going to provide conviction, going to provide conviction. 
But if you don't obey that conviction, the Holy Spirit's not going to move in power. Holy Spirit will still be there. Okay? He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's going he's to help you continue with that. But there's going to be consequences that's going to happen. Little by little. If anger doesn't get dealt with. If adulterous thoughts don't get dealt with. And so, he's just preparing us. The Holy Spirit's coming, and he's going to take up residence. So, anger, lust, and the last area is marriage and divorce. And we see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. 31 through 32. Says this, it has been said, there it is, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I'll tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, you know, I just want to, I want to make sure you understand this that these words by Jesus, I mean, they cut to the core. And, and, and trying to be up here and present this is, is a pretty, pretty heavy weight on me. But after, after much study and, and looking through this, um, you know, I, I think I've got something here that will speak to all of us. Because I know we've got people we are either watching online or are here in this place. You've been in these situations. Some of you have almost, you've been to the brink of divorce. And you, you've, you've come back. Or, or you had, have gone through a divorce. So the standard for divorce in the ancient world was low. I want to make sure you understand that. The standard for divorce in the ancient world was low. Practically speaking, a husband could divorce a wife for almost any reason at any time. I mean, literally. As you do, as you, as you do studies, as I've studied this, a husband can divorce, could, back then, a husband can divorce his wife almost at any time for any kind of reason. Even like not preparing his meals right. Can you imagine? I mean, it's like, if, if, if I... If I divorce my wife, Suzanne, because she didn't cook the meals right, first of all, all you'd be mad because I know y'all like her more than you like me, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And second of all, she doesn't, I mean, she's an amazing cook. But that's just, that's crazy. But that's how it was. The hardest part might be coming up with um, a legal technicality to use as an excuse. Okay? So God seems to allow the practice of divorce for Israel. We see this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 through 4. You can even look this up. Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is the law, 1 through 4. So if a man decided he found something indecent, and that's the word is used, indecent about his wife, then he can divorce her, give her a certificate of divorce. But Jesus will later say, and later on in Matthew, that God only allowed this through Moses because Israel's men were stubborn. Because of their hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, this is Jesus talking, to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, that was not God's plan. 
But because you men are so stubborn, here's what we can do. So culture, culturally, a certificate of divorce provided protection for a woman. That's what a certificate of divorce did. It provided protection for a woman and allowed her legal standing to remarry. Okay? Make sure you understand that. It allowed her legal standing to remarry if she could. And, and, and understand this, culture-wise, culture it, it was all about the men. And the, and the women were just servants. Sorry, ladies. That's just how it was. I don't agree. You know, like it how we have it now. Okay? But that's just how it was. All right? Um, so... But it gave them legal standing to remarry if they wanted to. It's likely that Israel's religious leaders permitted the practice of men giving their wives certificate of divorce for little or no reason. Little or no reason. Jesus cites the teaching of the, of the leaders which falls short of the Old Testament. Jesus goes on to reveal God's true intent for marriage and divorce. In this case, God means for marriages to be for life. Rather than agreeing that marriages can or, or should be dissolved by, by petty reasons, Christ describes divorces motivated by something less than sexual immorality to be invalid. So in other words, he's saying this, look, the law says you can divorce your wife. You can get her, her certificate of divorce if she has committed adultery. But <laughs> the teachers of the law, they've allowed men to give a certificate of, of divorce for just petty reasons. And God, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. That's not God's plan. Now, that's not to say that this is the one and only reason for any kind of kind that might justify divorce. The primary point is that a man may not legitimately divorce his wife unless she violates the marriage through adultery or some other sexual immorality. Because the divorce is invalid. The man is guilty of causing his wife to commit adultery when she remarries another man. In the same way, a man who marries a woman whose divorce was not a valid reason also because guilty of adultery. From Jesus' view, false divorces, no matter how legal the religious leaders say they are, led to more and more adultery. Do you get the point here? People were just giving certificates of divorce for petty, petty reasons. And Jesus is saying, look, that's not, that's not really how it works. Now, let, let me also say this, that, and I've counseled, gosh, in my 35 years or so ministry, I mean, I've, I've counseled many people, many marriages, and there have been, there have been some um, marriages where just, I mean, there is, there is abuse and, but, you know, no, one, no one's sleeping around, and there's just abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse. And, and let me say this. If you're ever in that situation, I, I, I wish that you would reach out to me or, or my wife or, or to our elders um, and their wives. Just, I, I would really love for you to just let us know of that, whether you're watching online 
or here, because that is something that um, I, we, we, it's just not needed in a house. <laughs> and so you need people to come alongside of you to help you in that situation, okay? And so, um, but let me say this, that, I mean, sexual immorality is a, is a very serious thing. And so, um, but Jesus makes it about, he just makes it about the heart. He points it back to the heart. The fact that people were looking for a loophole to divorce their wife revealed bigger problems within the heart. They were looking for loopholes. And so, we need to do everything we can to stay with our spouses. And so, I know life can be tough. And let me say this, if you are in a situation where your marriage, it's leading towards that, towards, you know, you're just going down that pathway of divorce, maybe you haven't signed the papers, maybe you have, but just know this, we want to be involved in that. In fact, when our, when our members signed the membership covenant, they signed saying, if, if, if there's to be rec, uh, marriage reconciliation, it needs to go through our church before it goes to divorce. There, there's got to be, because God is all about reconciliation. And I know that there are situations out there, whether it be sexual immorality or abuse or, or those kinds of things that, that are different, but just know this, that, that, that God wants to be involved and he wants you to come alongside us. And as your shepherd, I want to walk with you through this. I mean, there are people in our church who've gone to the very, very brink of divorce. And God pulled them back. There are people who have gotten a divorce. And guess what? They came back together. And I remarried them. <laughs> what a great story. What a great story. So, you know, these words, I know they cut to the very heart of, of, who, of who you are sometimes. And I know that there, there are people who, you know, maybe you got a divorce before you were, you were a believer. And now you're sold out, believer, remarried, and you know, you're, you're with your spouse. And that's great. Um, but I do know this. There's, there's restoration. Restoration can happen. Restoration can happen through Jesus Christ. And so, um, there's healing that needs to take place if that is you. And here's the reason why it's so important. Marriage is so important because it not only represents what God instilled in Genesis between a, a man and a woman, but it represents marriage is the same thing between Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. It talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. And so 
the more you understand marriage, I mean, I understand more about the church because of my relationship with my wife than anything. And so, that's why it's important. And Jesus is telling us, look, I, I, first of all, Jesus is telling them, look, I, I'm not, I'm not going to divorce you. I'm not going to divorce the church. You belong to me. You give your heart to me. I'm in it. I'm in it all the way. But we just, we just got to go to the heart of the matter. So in conclusion, let me ask you this question. Are there any symptoms in your life? Because as this sermon stated in the title, the sin beneath the symptoms. What symptoms are there? Are there anger issues? Is there lust issues? Uh, are, are there sort of want to have loopholes with divorce? Is, is, is a marriage just your marriage in a, in a bad place? What are the symptoms in your life right now that show that there's a bigger problem in the surface that need to be dealt with? Then heed the words of the Apostle Paul. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let any sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of a righteousness. For sin shall now no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. You're not under the law. You're under grace. And whether you've had anger issues, or whether you've had adulterous thoughts, or even maybe you've even been through a divorce, there's grace. There's grace. And God wants to shower you with that grace. He wants to shower you with that grace. But check your heart. Check your heart, because that's what this is all about. Because guess who lives in your heart also? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you if you've accepted Christ as Savior. And so, just want to encourage you. I know today, a lot of tough stuff. What my words, it was Jesus' words. But he loves you. He really does. And sometimes true love cuts to the very core of who we are. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? In this moment, I mean, gosh, even preaching this message today, I'm, I'm, um, I was convicted. You know, I just, no, I may not have committed murder, but gosh, I've, I've had anger thoughts. I, I've never committed adultery, but I sure have in my heart. And so, I mean, whatever you're facing, again, maybe you, you have marriage issues, you've gone through divorce, just, you just need to surrender that to the Lord. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. Lord, please forgive me for just, you know, being angry or having those thoughts or, or going through that situation with my spouse. Just ask God for forgiveness. Ask Jesus, please forgive me of that. And just... Let me have newness of life. Please restore me from the inside out. God is not there to condemn us. 
Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. So as we surrender that to him, he's there to love you and to restore you. And if you've never accepted Christ as Savior, I'd invite you to just say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need to surrender my life to you. Please forgive me my sin. Help me to, make, to be a new person because I can't do it on my own. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, so next week, we pick off uh, the next three of the six examples of how Jesus says how we can uh, have a life of righteousness. And you say, Frank, I cannot live up to that, that righteousness. Uh, and you're right, you can't, neither can I. And that's his whole point. And the more that we depend upon him and bring him into our life and flood our life with his word, through fellowship of the church, through prayer, all of those things, the more we are going to have a victorious life through his righteousness, not our own. So, if you've got to offer forgiveness to someone or to, or, uh, or to ask someone to forgive you this week, let's go take care of that this week, all right? And uh, just know this, we love you guys, and we can't wait to see you next week. Next week is Breakfast Sunday. Don't miss out. 1030, love you. Talk to y'all later. Bye-bye.